0: Hello and welcome back to the Petter Hughes Podcast. In today's episode I talk with Phil Brady. We talk about stress, we talk about how to unlock your potential, we talk about how to live a better life all around. Phil is an absolutely amazing person and some of the knowledge bombs he drops in this are absolutely unbelievable. If you're watching this you'll probably notice that I'm literally taking notes the whole way throughout it. But if you're listening to it you're obviously not going to have seen that. But either way no matter how you're watching, listening, whatever, this is an absolutely great episode. You're going to love it. Enjoy. Phil Brady, thank you very much for coming on. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Paddo. I'm good. And you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, obviously, we got a bit of a chat before this, and I sort of want to know this for both me and the listeners. Who, who actually are you?
1: I've only met you once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm Philip Brady. I am a leadership and mindset coach. And I originally grew up in Dublin, moved to Navan with my family of two younger sisters, I have always been, since the year 2000, and I know it was 2000, my mom gave me a Tony Robbins book, and it changed how I thought about myself as I was a teenager, I was 13, and how I thought about everything got to do with the world, Uh, and just helping people, so ever since then, and one conversation, and we can talk about that as well, that I had with somebody after reading the book, has uh, just made me unbelievably curious about learning tools to help other people. And I think that's probably a lot about who I am. But I have a cat. I have a soon-to-be wife in two weeks' time. I enjoy walking in nature. I like long walks in the beach, you know, like the dating <laughs> profiles. <laughs> All these kind of things. But I'm just like fascinated by potential, fascinated by the interference that holds us back from it and uh, just like showing up and talking to people. So again, just an honor, Padder, for having me and being able to have a conversation with you and also getting to know a little bit about you. Maybe you could do the same thing. Like, Yeah, we'll, you? Do, we'll do that
0: after this. We'll, do, we'll like interview me back to back when, when this time's up.
1: Okay, nice. Yeah, but that's probably a little, that's like a snapshot. I'm in Belfast seven years since 2014. I moved up for the job that I'm in at the moment and worked in technology for two years and then moved into leadership development. Which is the work that I wanted to get into mm-hmm. and I kind of coach executives and leaders and uh, have a good time doing it and now I'm kind of having banged into with curiosity physiology and stuff like that I've been kind of paying attention to just like I qualified as a personal trainer I um, met Lenny, met yourself, met kind of some really interesting kind of gym owners, personal trainers online and in, in gyms and and I've been enjoying kind of sharing some of the things that I have in my toolbox with them to also help them. Because I have a quote on my wall and it's that I help others shine their lights so that they can help others.
0: Amazing, I love that light, lighthouse sort of thing. Yeah, that's it.
1: I wanna help you shine a light.
0: You actually, you skip right on a uh, forum here, so you can probably say I'm writing notes here. Uh, just- No like- issue. I know what you're like. Some of the things you drop, I'm going to want to revert back to, but I don't want to interrupt you. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was actually quotes because I'm not, I'm not a big fan of quotes. I think sometimes you can get a wee bit airy for you, know, but if there's something, like you say, it's not the thing, it's your thoughts about the thing. I found one the other day. You're definitely familiar with it. If anyone's going to know, it, it's going to be you. Uh, and then there's the most dangerous risk of all, the risk of spending your life not doing what you
1: want on the bet that you have the freedom to do it later. Have you ever heard that one? I haven't, but I like it. And it's similar to Les Brown. So Les Brown would say the richest place in the world. So the richest place in the world is a graveyard because there lies all the books that weren't written, the movies that weren't created, the songs that weren't sung, the businesses that could have been set up. And it's all because of fear and insecurity and doubt. And so it's the richest place in the world. But it's exactly that. It's a you will regret the things you didn't do a lot more than the things that you did.
0: We're literally just getting started and you're starting to fucking, you're blow my mind away. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, I was actually talking to someone about that this morning. Have you ever read The Twelve Regrets of the Dying?
1: No. The, the and I take of the dying?
0: Yes, work away. I've never actually read it myself, but I know essentially it's a of care nurse and she's wrote the book based off of The Regrets of the Dying and the, the general consensus seems to be that they didn't live a life true to themselves and according to what other people in the you know, pressure society put on which i know you're a big
1: fan of that sort of thing yeah but no one on their deathbed regretted spending more time at the office that's, that's, right. it. <laughs>
0: yeah. that's exactly it so backtrack a wee bit i actually wanted to ask you this uh, the day i met you what was the tony robbins book it wasn't awake and the giant within uh
1: no it was his other one uh like Awaken the Giant Within and then there's another one. It's red. Unlimited. Unlimited power, is it? Unlimited power. Yes. And the one thing to summarize from it was, again, it's not the thing. It's our thinking about the thing. It's the frame that we hold on our life actually dictates our experience. So why, that's what he talks about is like it's what you focus on and the meaning you give what you focus on. Mm -hmm. And when I read that, like, again, we can jump straight in. I don't mind sharing anything, like, open book, patterns. so let's go where it's helpful. I, love I it. had a conversation that, like, I think I was 15 or 16 with somebody who was suicidal. Okay. And I, like, I can remember the tears under my face on the floor, and I know exactly where I was, uh, and I just shared a just a way of hopefully just asking them questions that could help them reframe where they were Mm -hmm. that I had learned from a Tony Robbins book. Again, you don't know the tools that you're learning and where they can help people and change this person's perspective. And I'm like, if I can do that for one, that fire in my belly has been lit to try and help others. That's all I want to do is just light little fires in other people, you know, so that they can shine it out a little bit.
0: That's, that's amazing. I never knew that. I never knew that. That's, that's what happened. And I think Tony Robbins is big on that. I don't think he's ever lost
1: a suicide in his whole career. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, well, that's his claim. And he does more work behind the scenes than I think people realise to learn enough and to understand uh, what goes on for people. And that's not to say I'm special or anything. It's literally just I asked useful questions and was there sitting with somebody. Yeah when they were feeling dark and sometimes that's also all that's needed is we just need company we don't need answers we need company and that's why one of my ways of explaining what i want to do or want, want to live up to is i want to be a companion on your journey to your potential it's not about me it's just a companion along the way that's your Instagram bio actually isn't it yeah
0: yeah <laughs> I, thought I and, hopefully that, it. <laughs> and hopefully that
1: explains it you know yeah
0: no, I understand exactly what come from. What was it about the, I sort of understand this obviously from coaching people, maybe for someone who's listening, what is it about helping someone through that situation that was like, this is what I want to do, you know, cause you're in a technology job, presumably relatively comfortable, you know, financial s- security, you had sort of everything you needed. What was it about coaching people that drew you to that? Cause you're not actually self-employed as of current, you're still in a, an employed job, but it's,
1: it's what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm doing a little bit of both and trying to build up a business. Mm -hmm. what it is is like a sense of contribution but also so we spoke uh the last time we were in person together about the six human needs Mm -hmm. for me it meets a few it meets connection and love i build a connection with somebody both their bright side and dark side and help them just explore dialing up their light side a little bit more yeah that's one, the growth and like the growth for me in learning tools and like reading books and just expanding my own learning. Also, it gets me because I just have this insatiable appetite to try and learn so that I can help others. And mm-hmm. I asked Katie, my soon-to-be wife, uh, yesterday to write something down while I was driving because I had a thought while driving along and it was if you're holding to information because you think it's going to, you won't be valuable or you won't be like useful. Uh, and how can you sell, like how can you share information and make money then from having a product kind of thing, if you give it away, if that's the case, it's scarcity. And actually it's because you're probably not learning enough. It's probably you're not topping up your cup uh, because then you can't give So if you're thinking giving is going to empty your cup, you're probably not topping it up. And coaching gives me that opportunity to make sure I'm focused on topping up my cup so that I can give to others. And also just, I would regret it if I died again, it would be a regret of something I didn't do. If I didn't have these conversations with people and uh, offer whatever is useful for them at the time and it's not always answers. And this is a big thing. I was talking to Lenny about this yesterday. We're really good at looking for answers when my thing is I'll only hopefully offer you questions because it's not useful for you to have my answers. My answers for happiness would be very different from yours. Mm -hmm. My answer for success will also be different. But if I ask you the question what does success look like for you and what what would it look like when you achieve it? That will move you differently than if I just give you the answer, like it's having a thousand pound a day job or whatever it looks like. That's not your answer. And when we take on other people's answers and we can get to this, because I know we will, we lose our sense of self Mm -hmm. because we've chased everyone else's stuff and not our own. So I'd rather offer you a question than an answer. And that's coaching when it's done really well.
0: I love what you said there about chasing the other people's stuff as opposed to your own, because I feel like there's a, I don't want to say societal pressure. I sort of hear people say that, but nearly an invisible narrative about what you should be doing. And this is the answer. What, yep. what, what, what do you feel is the issue there? I'm sure you get a lot of people talking to you specifically about that sort of thing. Like, because I know a lot of your coaching style is to help people who are a wee bit lost, lacking a wee bit of purpose. What sort of questions would you ask? And, steer their mind in the right way
1: well i'd just say stop shooting all over yourself as in like people say like uh like don't be shitting on yourself don't be shooting all over yourself like shoulds are for others rather than yourself and it's the difference between authenticity and approval we should do certain things so that we get approval which is really just love or connection from others when actually well, there's, two, there's also two ways to look at that as well. So shoulds are for other people. What we must do or commit to doing, when you're clear on it, can make a difference for you and listening to yourself. And again, being more authentic is not anything that you should do, mm. but what you must do. And we get lost in shoulds. Because we crave approval. And the, like it comes back to a, if you didn't seek approval as a child, you would die. Your eyes are permanently dilated so that you're looking more attractive. Hence why when they draw cartoons, their eyes are always dilated because it looks more attractive. Your eyes are permanently dilated for a number of months so that an adult looking at you just is drawn to you. Hence why at nighttime you look better in nightclubs because your eyes are dilated if it's dark to try and find the light so you look more attractive. But again, if we didn't have that sense of following what we should do. So when I cry, then I get attention. When I'm bold, I get given out to. So your shoulds are built around what your parents told you was good or bad. And then again, we just continue to externalize that as we grow up into your peer circle. If I wear a leather jacket and listen to rock music, then they like me. I should wear a leather jacket to be liked. Again, because I want to get fed as a kid and I want to get love as a kid. It grows up. And the narrative that I have in some of my stuff is, everyone else writes your story through your shoulds so it's to take back the pen and self author rather than be socialized or written upon and those are two developmental stages that we go through and you have to go through these things but the best tip to avoid shoulds is to rip them apart and just explore what's driving it. And normally it's connection and love. It's one of our needs. We need it. But your shoulds might be, I think we can curse, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, obviously, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your, should, your shoulds are bullshit. It's worth examining them. It's worth shining a light on them. Again, shining a light, right? It's worth, it's worth doing that because under the light, they'll show up as absolute rubbish that we're just following for everyone else. We're burning out. We're on a hamster wheel uh, for everyone else, but ourselves. And yeah, it's bullshit. And when we listen more to ourselves rather than the shoulds, we get really clear on what's important. And like you're saying, the 12 regrets of the dying, if you look back from your deathbed, and wrote your eulogy which is one of in one of the seven habits of highly effective people it's like begin with the end in mind you'll realize the shoulds again over that time scale of your life are all bullshit all made up bullshit and we don't spend time unearthing what's true why do you think and so we just why do you get, think people struggle with it Cause it's hard. Yeah.
0: I love that you said that, yeah. Cause some people would give you like a fluffy answer, but that's at the end of the day. Yeah, it's hard. It's, hard. Yeah.
1: it's the hard work. It's mm-hmm. the deep work. And you have to be comfortable that you were wrong. And yeah. a feeling of rightness is lovely. Feeling wrong is really hard. And there's like a, somebody that I follow, his work because I came home to his work is writing a book at the moment and more or less there's like a hero's journey that we go through but there's one that leaders go through and more or less I don't know all the stages but more or less leaders skip step seven or eight and just repeat the cycle but they hurdle over seven or eight whichever step it is and the reason is seven or eight is the deep work the hard work we're under too much pressure, we're too busy, we're too much on this hamster wheel that we think is important, that we step over the deep work, hurdle over it, and just keep repeating the bullshit. And it's all bullshit. So yeah. that shouldn't be the tagline for the thing, right? But our shoulds are a, probably something to examine. Like, what are the shoulds that you think are true in your life? Like, what do you believe, and how could you be wrong? Yeah. That's the I mean- question. I think uh, I think this is somewhat
0: applicable to fitness. I always like like giving an analogy, it makes it easy for people to understand. So when someone comes to me and they want to lose weight, for example, we'll check in every week and we'll be like, right, we have this beginning with the end in mind and we're on track or we're not on track every single week. What's your process for making sure that you're staying on track with this? I would imagine it's probably easier for you because I think you're probably, if anyone who's gonna understand authenticity, it's just it's just the absence of inauthenticity for you it's just being you you know exactly what you want but what's the what's the process for someone who doesn't say someone came to you uh clinically i suppose or professionally what what advice would you give them
1: uh, please don't come to me clinically because i'll mess you up <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'm, I'm please, uh, please. please. no no i get it though uh to be authentic
0: uh Uh, I suppose go after what they want you know I think I think maybe maybe some people do have an idea but they're just not actually doing it so what's in the gap between that you know that you talk a lot about the uh, think say do the gap between say and doing what's in the gap I
1: I think one way is just to (laughs) so walk in nature Okay, yeah, we're gonna go here. Right, I'm happy. I'm sorry we're we're going there so early on. We're only only three and a half minutes in. No, gonna, I want to get to it. Uh, I, I think when you really walk in nature, what happens is you hear nothing other than what's in your mind. And again, it's like shining a light on it. It's like literally, you're in a forest. There's nobody around. There's nothing around other than trees and birds and all the rest. Like nobody gives a fuck about you or the things you think about yourself and nothing like literally you're just the thing there. You're nothing, but that doesn't mean you're no one. The Freedom of insignificance. Yes. And so because of that, you get to take off the stories that you think are true about you because They don't have to be true when all there is to do is walk and breathe. And when you then re-enter into normal, you start to see that actually it's just all these things we tell ourselves, like stories and narratives and beliefs are just sentences or phrases we just repeat about ourselves. Like, I can't do that. Not a good public speaker. for me to be liked i need to be the center of attention right but actually authentically i might not want to do that but it's an act or an insecurity playing out when you're walking and when you like that's my meditation is like a like a just spending time in nature away from all the noise if you do that and you just ask yourself like I ask three questions when I'm coaching people walking through forests. One is pick a tree that represents how you feel now, right? And I'll tell you about my three trees more or less as I did this for the first time. The second one is, uh, who who do you want to live up to be? And the third one is, how do you want to be remembered when you die? right? In a forest, you'll find answers to those things. And deliberately with the death one, it's there. So that again, you have put all the others in perspective. Mm-hmm. Again, begin with the end in mind. You'll realize who I want to be is, I want to have a Ferrari or I want all this stuff. Stuff is bullshit. Can you spend time on your own? And can you look yourself in the mirror and say, Do you know what? When you said you did, if no, you have fill the gap with shit. Right? To make you feel like you're worthy or you're significant bullshit we chase the wrong stuff and we don't need to chase if there's a chase there's something you find there's nothing to find you're already there like you're already fine you just need to look within rather than outside so maybe to to keep going with the three trees right because this might take you slightly back to authenticity i won't get you lost on the walk right the tree that I found that represented how I want to be remembered when I die, I actually only found yesterday, and I've had a tough week. Uh, I'm getting married in two weeks, and I found out Thursday evening my family not be able to may not be able to be there in person, right? Because of COVID and because of some of the restrictions, and because the one of the family members in the house tested positive, so probably they're all going to test positive. Mm-hmm. So that news is chaos. That news is discomfort. Mm -hmm. And I went for a walk. I was four hours walking yesterday because I needed to. I just brought a a canister of water and comfy runners. Don't forget comfy runners. But I found the tree that I want to be remembered as when I died because it was at a point where it was a fallen down tree, beautiful view in the background, and I could rest on it. So it was still giving something, even when it was dead. And again, these are useful lessons for life, right? We have so much to give. We just don't. And I was able to rest on it, have a tear or two, have a little cry, thinking about the situation. And then I was able to process what I needed to process and kind of move forward. So that was my how I want to be remembered when I died. The one about who I was or who I feel like I am at the moment, because I'm trying to set up something on my own. Again, I walked along and I saw this tree was quite like strong, but it was leaning on the trees around it. So I was wanting to do something on my own, but also needing or feeling the need to lean on others. Right. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be independent, but there was a interdependence or a reliance on others. So that was that one. And again, this is all about authenticity. Like this is what was going on for me at the time. The middle one, who I want to live up to be. Uh, I think I shared it the other day on one of my stories. Can I hold it up to the camera? Would that be useful, Er? Or...
0: Yeah, it'll come up on the
1: recording. This one. So it's not very clear because it's been warm and wet, so it's a lot of growth around it. But you oh. see a really strong base, right? But it's also yeah. on its own, so it's not leaning on others. It's independent, but comfortable with that. A strong base is like good grounding, a strong foundation. But what you can't see in that image is the base is actually like, it's like this, but it's actually decaying in the middle. Right. And yet that's still providing a strong base. But what that meant to me is the beliefs and the stories that I was holding about myself and what was possible can be part of the foundation for my growth and independence. But the fact that I can decay them despite them supporting me means when I cast off those beliefs, I can use them and still build on top of, but they don't have to be true as I grow. Yeah.
0: Right? Uh, yeah. No, you've, like, you haven't lost me, like, but you just I, every time I talk to you, I feel like I'm learning so much. <laughs> like literally even just a short, short space of time, and I love what you touched on there about the stories, the stories we tell ourselves. And I've seen you actually done a post about. Um, I feel like when people talk about anxiety and stuff, it's probably considered controversial. I wouldn't even say so because I think you've done a post. I can't remember what it was. Something to do with anxiety and the story you're telling yourself and how that's causing anxiety for you. How how does that apply in terms of like? Obviously, that that, that would apply that anxiety is somewhat self-created. How would you create the opposite if you were? In that, in that feeling, or even not even anxiousness, for example, just any, any sort of negative feelings, how would you flip that on a set and create a positive?
1: Uh, so I, I've, again, the road to hell is paved for good intention. I've always wanted to not feel negative or help people avoid negativity. And only recently made peace with the fact that sometimes we need to honor what we feel Mm -hmm. first.
0: Like like you said there, you know, you you were, you cried in the forest. That wasn't not an issue for you, but you've overcome that issue.
1: Yeah. And then you continue to walk. Mm -hmm. So you take the lesson, you honor the feeling, and then you continue forward. And what I would say is if, if you are, so we'll talk about four things, a physiology, the language we use to describe ourselves, others, and the world, what we focus on, and the meaning we give what we focus on are the four things that control our experience. If you are anxious versus depressed, if you are excited versus uh, maybe grounded, you will create four different patterns of those things, Mm -hmm. right? So if I'm excited, my physiology is light. The language I use to describe myself is probably energizing words like passion, can't wait, any of those kind of phrases. What I focus on are all the good things that could happen. And the meaning I give it is maybe life is great. Life is off- offering me opportunities to learn and grow and all these kind of things, and it's a possibilities, but possibilities that I can tap into and make the most of. Mm-hmm. Instead, if those four things were anxiety, the pattern was anxiety, your physiology would probably be more caffeine than is useful. Mm-hmm. So I notice I get anxious when I drink too much coffee, or that pattern is more likely when I drink too much coffee. Yeah. So the physiology is one, your breathing will be in your chest, not in your diaphragm. The language you use to describe things is questions of your your, uh, maybe lack of skill or capability. So when I have to speak in front of senior individuals, I get anxious, probably because I've had coffee, probably because my body wants me to prep usefully, right? And the language I use is what if it goes wrong? So again, that's going to shift that language will shift the questions I ask myself and the meaning I give it. So what could go wrong? That's an open-ended question. Your brain will give you answers for that. Mm -hmm. And it's open-ended. It'll give you any answer you want. The meaning you give it then, if I'm asking questions and I'm feeling the feeling, if I'm asking questions like what could go wrong, and there's open-ended amounts of those things, the meaning I give it is, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. Mm-hmm. Am I even capable? Right? Yeah. But instead, if you honor the feeling and understand this, the meaning that you could give it is actually anxiety is actually excitement just with a different attention. And it's that it's prepping you to perform. If you didn't feel anxiety and ride the wave, if you tried to suppress it, it will bubble up and it will erupt in ticks when you're speaking or some way that it will show up for you that is not useful. If you try to hide and don't listen to these things, they will come up and they'll come up not in a good way. So when we understand that we create those things and we honor what they're trying to tell us, because emotions are just information. There's no good or bad information. If you feel anger, it's probably because you or somebody else, has violated one of your standards. So when you're angry at yourself, you have a standard. Again, it's worth exploring what that is. You haven't met it. Mm. Right? But there's a physiology behind it. There's a a language you use to describe it. There's a focus. There's a meaning you give all these things. So when you understand those four things, you can create create any emotion. And it starts with changing your physiology. How you move and how you breathe. Have you drank enough water? Reduce your coffee. Simple things like that. Less sugar. All of those kind of things make a difference. And I'm I see actually, people drinking Monster. I see people drinking energy drinks all day. And then we wonder why anxiety is so high. Yeah, I, I, th- I th- think that's it's a lot of fire, isn't it? It's a Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I think once you understand that it's a, it's a state that can be influenced by those things like, say, a physiology, uh, that it's, it, it can be worsened by things like that. Like, I used to get really bad before I was flying, uh, really bad, turbulent flight, having me scared of flying, and I just stopped drinking Monster, drinking coffee before I was flying, and I noticed it was, you know, t- tenfold, no, nowhere near as bad as it was beforehand. But um, I was actually, I was talking to someone the other day, I would love to get your opinion on this. He was just signing up to be a client of mine. Um, Hasn't really trained before, maybe been in a gym once or twice, but... The story that he's telling himself is that he doesn't belong in a gym and I'm sure you've heard quite a lot of that and the funny thing is most people who are like are setting up in a gym are probably people who quote-unquote don't belong in a gym you know it's never all bodybuilders in a gym it's usually just people starting out so what would you what advice would you give to him or anyone because I'm sure there's going to be people listening with that exact same story in their head <laughs>
1: So my mind immediately went to nobody belongs in a gym. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) That's right. But given the options as alternatives, it's a it's a good one. Uh, It's really hard in forests to find ways to uh, lift weights, so we have to sometimes recreate them, and that's what gyms are. Yeah. Right. Uh, We're built to move. We're built to be functional. And we have also, over time, understood more about the human body. And so the gym is a very good replacement or option to build muscle Mm -hmm. and feel fitter. And that doesn't mean you only belong in a gym as in it's not from one extreme to the other that you don't or you do it's that it can be an option and it can be one of many options if you're going to the gym three days a week don't forget to go for a walk don't forget that you can cycle with your kids don't forget all of these kind of things as well are all options gyms are just very good at what they do um, but if you feel you don't belong uh, sometimes it's like culture
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That you haven't built up enough of the experience within to feel enough of those kind of belonging cues, they're called. So, a mm-hmm. belonging cue is, for example, at Lenny's Elite, at the end of every day or at the end of every kind of segment, everyone claps. He says, one, two, three. Everyone does it together. That's a belonging cue. But if you are outside the gym and you haven't experienced that belonging cue, you will look in and see people doing something and say, I'm different to that. I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So you haven't built up those experiences within the environment. And I would say... uh, uh, Well, you can also... Like, create belonging for yourself, maybe. In what way? Build up those experiences, build up those examples of spending time there, build up evidence that you do belong there. You talk to people, you smile at other people, you say hello, you ask them how they're getting on. You build a community around you. If the community won't come to you, you go to it. Yeah. And you can then create that sense of belonging around you rather than relying on others to consider. Um, increasing your sense of belonging maybe it's something that you can do instead and you don't run out of those kind of things to bring yeah. you just need to do them a little bit more
0: and that's what me and him had the conversation about it i was like okay well who does belong in the gym he was like well people who are like you know in good shape bigger i was like okay i was like how do you get into good shape and be bigger like how do you build bigger muscles he was like when you train i was like so they had to go in somewhere for the first time yeah but that's obviously that's simple in theory you know you can say that but the feelings are still there so When it comes to change, especially, you're getting a lot of this, people coming to you. Why do they they struggle so much with change? Why is there so much resistance? What is it about that,
1: and how do you overcome that? It's that we expect change to happen instantly. Mm -hmm. And change is, so again, I'm sharing stuff pattern that I'm learning, and I'm not an expert at any of this stuff. Somebody, uh, I'm on on a conversation like this next week, and I would be brought on as an expert in public speaking and presenting. Not an expert because I'm learning every day about this stuff. Well, to them, you're but an expert. No, I'm not. That's the thing. I'm just an open book and a white belt mentality around some of these things. And mm-hmm. um, with change, what I learned recently to summarize it is change is not cognitive, it's biological. Okay. And biological changes take a little bit more time. And so we. Resist change. So, for example, if people are listening and you can do this, just fold your arms the way that you do, and then fold your arms the opposite way. It feels uncomfortable making that change, but you can imagine that over time you would get used to that feeling. Again, it's feelings, and it wouldn't feel so bad. You might actually say, Oh, it's better because I can do X, Y, Z, whatever those things are. Mm -hmm. so change is easy the transition between point A and point B is the hard part because that's the work and you have to go through feelings so initially when you're presented with change and again hopefully you remember some of these words and if you don't this is the test this is the (laughs) test right but when you fold your arms normal and then when you fold them the opposite way the feelings are this is awful, uncomfortable, I hate it I wonder what's happening. I need to think too much. All these bad things about what the change is. Then you get to a point where actually this could work. I can see that this is a benefit. And then you get to a point where, yeah, yeah. Folding my arms that way is the best. And it's the same with changes. When you go to the gym for the first time, that's a change. It's easy to do the change. It's hard to transition and the stories and the experiences that have to catch up with that change. Going through the door is easy. Change is easy. The discipline of it, putting on your runners to go for a walk. The change is easy. Again, putting on the runners is the small, maybe that's, again, one of the antidotes to help is make it super easy. Grease the groove, make the path to success really smooth. Runners in front of you, coat at the door, carrying gear, whatever you need to do, right, to make it easy. But the transition and the journey that you have to go through is what's difficult because you now have to say, I, have to, I, I, I choose to say no to drinking at the weekend on a Friday night so that I can work out on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. There's a change there, but there's a giving up of stories, experiences, needs that are met, like spending time with friends, connection and love as an example there that you're getting as one of the human needs. All of those things have to evolve and catch up with the change. The change is easy if you're a business owner. You can change the price online in one second, but the mindset behind, am I worth that? I've never charged that. Who am I to think I deserve? What would other people say? That hasn't caught up in that one second. That takes time and that's biological. It takes time. And so my thing is the walk is the work. We need to be more patient with these things. It's a walk, it's not a run. You have to walk through these things. And again, if it's helpful, there's a a, a model called Bridges Transition Model. And it talks about change in this way that something has to end. There's this kind of space in the middle and then there's new beginnings. And we have to go through that process with every change. And we cannot make too many changes at once or else what happens is we are overwhelmed and we default to the way our arms folded were originally, right? Yeah. We're, so so I, I, I always think, and one of my theories is the bridge's transition curve. You cannot depress that or compress it. It's too much too quick and you can't multiply it. If you try and change 15 new habits tomorrow, never will it happen. Instead, it's small micro things and then stack them as they're working. And that takes time.
0: Yeah. And have you, have you ever read, I, I keep reference to the books here, but have you ever read uh, Ollie Allerton's book? I think it's Breakpoint. Nope, not yet. Where Breakpoint or Battle of One, really whichever one it was, he, talk, he talks a wee bit about change. It's, it's very basic self-development stuff, essentially, but one of the things he notes on change, probably the biggest take-home from this book, was you're not just fighting against, like, obviously the uncomfortable feelings of change, you're fighting against evolution because as far as evolution is concerned, what you did yesterday kept you alive. So your body does not physically want to do something that might not keep you alive or might not give you food. Do you know what I mean?
1: Homeostasis. We are we crave homeostasis. We change we crave the same. And that's why one of the books that I would recommend on Audible is Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. Heard you talk about that. And it it talks about the it's like a, a delivery driver there. Uh, Giving you a delivery of McDonald's or something like that. I know. It's so funny. The The patterns or homeostasis around fear that we're conditioned about play out in not just what we do, as in with homeostasis and our habits, but also our habits of thinking and thinking from a place of stay the same to fear around future or change homeostasis can also just repeat those kind of things for us, but again it 's all bullshit Fear I had a question that I come up with the other day was what a fear is actually love because it is fear is to keep you safe it 's in your best interest to stay safe, but it's actually not in your best interest yeah um, right
0: yeah, so yeah, fear
1: yeah. is actually love success doesn't exist without failure along the way. Mm-hmm. Happiness, like said wouldn't button, but... be happiness happiness wouldn't be happiness without unhappiness or sadness because you've nothing to contrast it off so actually these things have to exist exactly
0: yeah
1: sorry bad. nope that was all that's
0: wi-fi the uh something you said there about when, when you're changing it's like this nearly conditional logic that you can't sort of have this and this so if i train on saturday i will not drink sort of thing and i think it's stephen bartlett's book another book if you want happy sexy millionaire was talking about when he was writing the book he was in the jungles and i think it was fiji or something or puerto rico somewhere on along there and the monkeys were swinging from vine to vine and something that he noticed was when they were grabbing onto the next one they first had to let go of the one they were currently on and how that's something he sees people struggle with so much like it's not that they can just you know they can't have this security and also have the growth that comes with trying something new do you know what I mean? And I don't know you, you you like that step-by-step process, so I don't hear your opinions on
1: that. Well, what I would also say is it's never or mm-hmm. this or this. So I slightly disagree. I would say when monkeys are going between vines, there's an and. Yes. Right? Because if you see it as or it's easier to say no. I have to choose between these things. I can't. Mm-hmm because that involves a lot of value judgments and stuff, I would suggest it's and. I get to go out with my friends on Friday, but I won't drink. I will just spend time with them. And that allows me to be able to work out on a Saturday morning, right? So yes. I think the work is not to uh, uh, build ors as in choices between stuff, but find the ands. I get to go to, and again, get to not have to. You don't have to do anything. You get to go to the gym. Aren't you fucking lucky that your body works enough that you can go to the gym, right? You get to. You don't have to. You don't have to do anything Mm -hmm. other than eat and and drink water. Water uh, probably a little bit more urgently, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not an or as in gym or live It's a gym and live. The two can exist together. I think that's probably the problem people have. Exactly. And it's the cost of, if I do this, then this must happen as well. It's like, not always. Hmm. There's always an and. Like, if you're in a calorie deficit, you can go to the gym and have pizza. If you go to the gym and want to lose fat, you don't have to have vinegar, right? Uh, What was the thing? (laughs) It was vinegar, yeah. Did you say that? Yeah, yeah. I showed Katie this morning. It's so funny. (laughs) But that's not what has to happen. It's like, uh, oh, I need to work out or I can spend time with my family. Work out with your family. Mm -hmm. It's an and. It's not an or. But ors are easier because, again, they make the choices simple. Ands just take a little bit more time to find and to build.
0: I think you actually have to give you a thank you for this. I think you might have posted something about that, and I was having a bit of an issue in that I uh, it's just me and my brother in my house, so I didn't like leaving my dog alone to do cardio in the gym, and the signal isn't great in the gym, so I couldn't sit and watch a podcast. So I bought a spin bike for the house. Sounds like such a silly thing, but that's given like that's just made that so much easier, you know. And it's it's something like that. But um, something I want to talk to you about was was stress because I'm sure you do get stressed, but you don't seem like someone who who lives there. You know, you maybe you maybe visit it, but you definitely don't seem to live there. What's, well, what's, what's your thoughts on it? Do you get stressed? If so, how do you deal with it? Uh,
1: yeah, I have a stressful job. I do a lot uh, outside my job. Um, stress, there's a curve for stress, mm-hmm. the stress performance curve, and it's a upside down bell. And so a certain amount of stress, again, if you think about a muscle in the gym, If you don't put your muscle under stress, you won't increase your performance or the strength. So a certain amount of stress is good, will increase your performance, and that's cognitive and physical stress. So there's a term called EU, and then the word stress. So stress is actually where it's in that flow, uh, like a, a boundary, where the stress is equal to, or just close to, your capability, so you are able for the amount of stress, you get in the zone of flow because you're stretched, but you're not overwhelmed by the thing, okay? But at the end of the curve, at the top of it, if you keep getting stressed, your capability isn't able for it, and your performance will actually decrease, and you can catch it early or you can catch it late. I have seen the dangers of it late. I have experienced with like really close to me people where their mental health was overstressed and they ended up in psychiatric wards. So I've seen when stress is built on too much, the secret is to catch it before and to tap into it so that it increases your performance.
0: Yeah, I seen someone sense. recently, yeah, 100%, 100% makes sense. I've seen recently someone use the analogy of a pendulum in that you have stress one way and you have performance on the other side and it seems to be that people hit it too much before they find that equilibrium yes. and just just enough stress just enough relaxation how yep. do you how do you find that balance in your child? for someone that's so busy because i i don't like associate stress with busyness i don't think that's the case but i think nope. that's often why people get stressed is because they perceive they have a lack of time
1: yeah and we can come back to remind me david White, a quote Weiss, and i put it up then. recently as well quite with a w or sorry a y Oh right, begins with W. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) wrong. I got my alphabet mixed up. Uh, I I would just like look up that stress performance curve. Okay. The language that's used to describe the different stages can give you some useful things to watch out for. So, for example, when I'm stressed, my thinking narrows. I can't think about possibility or open. When I'm stressed, I move quite. Uh, jittery, I uh, over index or think slightly more about negative and what I can't do. And when I'm stressed, my body feels just uh, like not still, just like antsy. Mm-hmm. If again, I was to quote from that book there, he has a curve in it. So this is Alan Watkins' book. And I talked to you about this kind of before we pressed uh, go. There's stress is a buildup of cortisol. Cortisol is the stress hormone. Cognitively, if I'm stressed by a person or a situation like public speaking, there are people who experience the same thing and don't get stressed by it. So What that tells me is stress is subjective cognitively to some things. What I can take as stress is very different from what other people find stressful. Right? So that's one thing. So your curve will look very different from my curve. My curve will look very different from the CEOs of some companies. Right? Cognitively, we can get stressed by things that aren't stressful to others. So the work there is to build up your experience enough and your capability enough that you don't find it stressful. You move down the curve into where it's actually useful stress Mm -hmm. and it's increasing your performance. If it's too stressful, the antidotes are rest. The antidotes are water. The antidotes are uh, decluttering your mind. Again, that's why I'm in nature so much. It's to literally, take all the stimulus out of your brain so that it settles and you move back a little bit in the curve. And then you can kind of build on your performance, but the other is just up your skill, up your capability, up your maps of the world and how you make sense of it through coaching, mentors, whatever it looks like for you, like losing weight for people starting out could be stressful because the amount of information that's out there on it is too much. So it's like this, you're right at the top of the curve, maybe overwhelmed and it's too much. so You just avoid it. Mm-hmm. Where actually somebody, if they can show you, no, 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 just do these three things and we'll get you into this zone where your performance is going to be unbelievable. You're at that rate of perceived exertion. That's just where you need it. You're getting something from it and it's working. Uh, but breathing is a really good thing. So I talked to you about breathing patterns. Like before you press record on a podcast, before you get in front of a crowd to speak, before you do any of these kind of things. And again, I'm talking a little bit cognitively about stuff in the mind about stress. Uh, when you're stressed, your heart rate variability is chaotic. So it's jagged mm. and it's, cha- like it's chaotic. So heart rate variability is the difference in variability between the two heartbeats. So heartbeats we normally see on a monitor, heart rate variability you can get with some kind of good uh, kind of devices or wearables. The way to smoothen your heart rate variability from chaos, again, from stress to not as stressed is breathing. It's rhythmic breathing. Five in, five out is the one that I always use. Could be four in, four out. Doesn't matter. Same number in, same number out. And that makes a massive difference. It reduces the cortisol because you've increased oxygen, all those kind of things. And it takes you from overstressed, same with anxiety. If you breathe enough, you will ground yourself and not be anxious, which is airy. It's excited stress versus depressed stress, which is like horrible, overwhelmed, giving up all that kind of stuff. Breathing can make a massive difference and move you to a more empowered state. Um, and that would be one of the things I would say, but you can't breathe when you're overwhelmed mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and you're still trying to keep up and do stuff. You're on the hamster wheel. You need to come off the hamster wheel for a few minutes, breathe, put it in perspective, expand it over your life. In the grand scheme of things, does this really matter? Probably not. But then I'll give it the perspective that it needs and I'll just attack it and build my capability as I go. So that was a wonder. No, well, no, you, you literally just
0: sense. you covered every question i had around that i'm very happy with that you touched on you touched on values earlier we didn't really get into it but you did touch on it are you clear on what your values are do you know if someone asked you could you list them out
1: uh no probably not and i tell people all the time that they should and again this is why <laughs> i'm not an expert like I, I i practice what i preach but again mine are updating all the time and again yeah. if you go back to that picture of the tree I'm killing off things at the bottom, but that's still being used to grow. Like learning is unbelievably high on mine, mm-hmm. but you can get, you can lock yourself in a library and be learning and not be in the world. So there's a cost to that value. So I try to balance that with a uh, like contribution, right? So I try and have values that are-, are uh, Congruent. Congruent.
0: Oh, but opposing, but, I suppose, actually.
1: Well, opposing so that I'm getting the benefits and the costs and they're balancing each other. Like a portfolio mm-hmm. for investment. It's yeah. a diversified but a useful one, right? One, one is just... Like, connection and love is very high for me. I don't like to say it, but significance is probably higher than it, I want it to be. As I'm in, glad you said that. Yeah, I, I want to, and I know, I, I had a thought again, I was walking yesterday in the forest, and I now know somebody who triggers a need to be significant in me, mm-hmm.
0: right? But everyone has that though, don't they? It's just that people aren't people are nearly afraid to admit it because it comes across as attention seeking.
1: So can... Yeah, and significance, the paradoxical need is connection and love. So as you seek significance, Approval of others, you take yourself away from connection and love actually because you want to differentiate yourself and step up like I'm a uh, I have a Ferrari, you have a say at Leon, right? Mm-hmm. I'm different, but yet we, we actually what we wanted was connection and love. We want this so that it gets us what we think we need. Yeah. Uh, but it's probably like I I passed the Ferrari yesterday and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's a car. That is a car. <laughs> but then I got into my stay at Leon and I'm like, yeah, this is a car. Lots of people look up to this as a car. Yeah. And I would rather not have the stress that comes with potentially having that life. Because again, stress is all relative. It's all subjective as well. Like if I had that car, I couldn't park it where I live because the kids had scratched the shit out of it. Right? Yeah. And imagine yeah. everywhere you go, you're worried about people keying it. They don't really key my lay on. It's all accidental. Right? And it gets me where I need to, has a little bit of fun and poking it. And then I get to walk in the forest because I'm not overly stressed.
0: Finance and the Ferrari is probably fucking ridiculous too, not though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so that was interesting, that thought yesterday and significance, but it's there for me. Yeah, definitely. So kind of growth, learning, balancing it with contribution.
0: amazing yeah. what you said that the change so often i think that's that's definitely the case you know they're ever changing for everyone but you seem to have a pretty good idea of how you can how you can gauge what they are and that's probably you would probably agree somewhat why you're a less stressed person than the average person because you're clear on what you value so you can easily say no to things do you understand what i'm saying yeah how would you how would you have someone determine that because i think i used to struggle with this quite a lot as well you know you're saying yes to everything and then you're you feel like you're spinning all these plates
1: Will you tell me what have you done that's worked or has helped?
0: I read, I read essentialism. Funny enough, it was, it was a book. Uh, well, I listened to essentialism, half of it. And probably one of the biggest takeaways from that book was to stop listening to it because
1: I got all I needed from it. So I didn't want to listen to the rest of it. <laughs> What's just funny? The but... advice about, we'll talk about book recommendations. Yeah, That is one of the things I don't recommend books. I just say buy or read enough books that you fall in love with learning. You don't have to finish a book. There are too many good books. Just read more, but fall in love with reading first. So I'm glad that you said you stopped halfway through because you got what you needed. But sorry, that's, you were going to say.
0: No, that's, that's, that's all I have on that. But I think that's so important because I feel I, I've felt obliged to finish so many books and there's probably three or four that I just haven't finished. Because once you get what you need from it, you can just go and act on that. You don't need more information. You need more implementation. And that's a belief. It's a story. I
1: must mm. finish books. No, bullshit. What if it's wrong?
0: Yeah. What 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 books would you say changed the
1: game for you? Apart from Tony Robbins, of course. I read, again, 15, 16. I worked in Super Value, which is just like a Tesco or like a, um, a supermarket. And I was a teller there. And in the kind of center, there was a chemist. And I spoke to this lady that worked in the chemist every day when she'd come in. And I'd be talking about wanting to be a coach. And she was actually studying the course that a couple of years later than I did. And she knew just that I was interested in kind of wisdom, not just information. And she gave me Don Miguel Ruiz, the four agreements. Never heard of it. And I'll tell you the four agreements. So you don't need to read the book, but you can if you want. One is always do your best. One is be impeccable with your word. So as in say do, right? Mm-hmm. The third, which as a teenager changed my experience of being a teenager was, uh, don't take things personally. And then always do your best. Don't take things personally. Be impeccable with your word. Oh, and never make assumptions. I like that one. I like so now you one. don't need to read the book. Read the book those are the four agreements that you make with life and they made a massive difference.
0: Amazing. I we can keep going. going. The Tony Robbins book, you were saying the biggest thing about it was not... I feel like when you say influence people, it sounds a bit bad in a way, but for you, you obviously took that the good way and have someone who was suicidal create a more compelling future for themselves, so I'm assuming you're going to recommend something to Tony Robbins.
1: Yeah, he like his Awakened Giant Within is very good. Yeah, it's great. He has some... He's some good work and like, it's all available online on YouTube. Like that's how I listen to his stuff. Now is just a, I listen to it and wherever I go and just try and soak it in. And that's where I learned that physiology language focused meaning recently. And that just helped me go, Oh my goodness. Like people that are struggling with the gym, people that are overweight, people that are wanting to make changes in the life, have a pattern of those four things. They want a different four things, different way of feeling, different language to use different stories they tell themselves different things to focus on different meaning our job is just to walk with them along the way and equip them to do it and encourage them along the way as well so mm.
0: that amazing well listen phil i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go on soon, one but I want, I want you to give one last like piece of advice to someone who's gonna be listening to this, because anyone who's gonna anyone who's gonna listen to this is seeking some sort of change whether it be they know you and they want to change in your field or they're coming from me and they want to change in my field what advice would you give them to make that change a lot easier? Because that's a large part of what you do is helping people unlock their potential, but ultimately that boils down to change in themselves initially, doesn't
1: it? Yeah. Um, just do a pros and cons, but staying the same, and a pros and cons about changing. And when you get really clear on the pain of staying the same and expands that over your lifetime, it is heavy. Mm -hmm. And it will not be just one change you will make either where we think this change is gonna be life changing. It's really not, it's just lots of little changes. There's a analogy of like a ladder. It's an image I put up a while ago and there's all these kind of rungs on the ladder versus ladders that have the rungs really spaced out. What happens is we make the changes with the rungs on the ladder spaced out so they're out of reach and they're too hard between them, where actually the secret is that 1% better every day. So we see change as this big, far from the ground thing, far from ground where we are. Change can be tiny, um, but change also takes time. So if you go from a cocoon caterpillar to a butterfly you can't rush the butterfly but yet that transformation can still happen with time so make it small make it consistent and just be patient that's probably it and maybe just one other thing I have this beside me and I wrote these two things out this is Lenny and this is something I, I read as well so how on earth would we be meeting the person you could have been but also be the ceo in your own life the chief energy officer right and then choose the energy that you want to bring um and again create that rather than should you don't have to do it but you could and um, that's like probably it. that's probably enough
0: That that is fucking phenomenal so listen what what do you actually do then who do you help if someone's listening they're interested in you what do you do? What do you help them with? Where can they find you?
1: What I help people with is so I run a kind of close the gap program. What I help people with as part of that, the kind of formula that I had in my mind as I was creating it, so it's over twenty eight days. Is your performance is equal to your potential minus interference? I like that. <laughs> right, and I. You care about your performance. I care about dialing up your potential and reducing the effect of interference. Interference could be stories, habits, beliefs, uh, any of those kind of things. I want to reduce the effect that they have by raising your awareness of them. And sometimes when you raise the awareness of them, you see clearer so you can act wiser. Uh, so I run that program. It's another one kind of October 11th. Uh, after I get back from my honeymoon and what it has helped people with, and I kind of put up these testimonials is I think sometimes people don't understand what they feel or they can't differentiate it, And so they experience, what they would classify as bad emotions where it's not a bad emotion. It's just a signal, an action signal like anger. The information is you or somebody has, Uh, not met a standard that you have so you would learn and you would understand your emotions and the energy that comes from that rather than the jumble is huge so I help people with that but also just dialing up your potential playing to your strengths uncovering your strengths and your values and those things that guide your decisions every day and then reducing the effect of interference that's probably a decent summary of what I do Um, And I do it for uh, people who are willing to not have a quick fix uh, because I can only invite you to a journey that will never end. We will walk this forever. And that's the thing. Um, It's not a quick fix. I can't fix you in 28 days, but I can definitely uh, enlighten. Some of the path that you can choose and walk for yourself, and Basically, you can find me probably Instagram Philip Brady Coaching, one L, and just anything that people are struggling with the challenges people have, I try to listen. So just share and ask me the questions, and I'll get back and I'll create posts or content about it.
0: Well, listen. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate that, and I think that was that was a great one. I
1: definitely learned a lot. Like so, I hope anyone listening did too. Yeah, and to you, Paddy. Thank you. Cheers, Paul.